How many of you have ever faced a discouragement of any kind? Anybody else? Because I think we all should probably have our hands up in this, right? Sure, we face discouragement. We face difficulties. You face difficulties in life? Yeah. Have you ever felt distant from the people in your life? Okay, okay, while we're asking, have you ever felt distant from God in the middle of some of these struggles in life? Of course, right? We all, yeah, yeah, we're trying to get our foot up in the air at the same time. It's like, oh yeah, we feel distant at times. It seems like the older I get, maybe it's just because it's the older I get, we're going through a season here of of funerals. I've been to several funerals in the last couple of months. I did a funeral last week. We have two funerals in the church this week. Um, I recently, you know, whatever that does for us, it causes me to go back to my hometown newspaper and read the obituaries. And and I just read that two of my classmates passed away in the last um, couple of months. And again, maybe it's just because we're getting older and the people that we hung out with are getting older, but we're, you know, there's a lot of funerals going on. And funerals can be very difficult. We had a, a pastor in Hibbing who used to call them, well, if you were a Christian, she didn't call them funerals, she called them funerals. Funerals, because you're one step closer to Jesus, and now, if for those of us who are believers, we cross that line like we've finished the race, so we're gonna have more fun than we've ever had in our entire life on earth. There's gonna be more joy, there's gonna be more peace, there's gonna be a funeral. I don't know, I haven't quite been able to get that there, but you know what's really difficult is when you do a funeral, for someone that you know was, was walking close to the Lord at one time and they walked away from God. Have you ever known people like that because of difficulty and because of struggle and because of, of distance and disappointment and disillusionment, all those things, there ends up being a disappointment. Um, Sir Edmund Blake was an Irish statesman born in the early 1700s. And he said, very seldom does a man take one giant step from a life of virtue and goodness into a life of vice and corruption. Usually, he begins his journey into evil by taking little steps into shaded areas, areas that are tinted, areas that are colored just a bit, almost unnoticed by those around him, until one day, hardly aware that he has even made the journey, he finds himself firmly entangled in a life of vice and corruption. You know, we see that in Scripture. We see that in people's lives. We can go to the book of Judgment, Judges, and in the book of Judges, we have the story about Samson. Most of the people know about Samson and his mighty strength. He wasn't supposed to get his hair cut. He was set aside from birth. From birth to manhood in his life, he was dedicated to God. He would wake up in the morning and he was dedicated to God. At noontime, he was dedicated to God. In the evenings, he was dedicated to God. And then Samson started flirting with evil. Her name was Delilah, right? And little by little, evil came into his life. And then in the later part of Judges, we read really, I I think one of the most startling verses in scripture, but it says, and I'm not gonna show it, but it it, it says that the Lord left him and he didn't even know it. The Lord left Samuel. Samuel. 
Samuel was supposed to be dedicated to God. He was supposed to keep himself pure. Anybody ever read that in scripture, maybe about us? That we're supposed to be dedicated to God and keep ourselves pure and stay on the right path? The Lord left him and Samson didn't even realize it. He had become so deeply enmeshed in sin. And Samson was a, a great man of God. But he had become insensitive to God's presence. King Saul, we read about Saul in the Old Testament. Saul was hand-selected by God to lead the children of Israel and it freaked him out so bad that he hid in a closet at first. And then eventually he gets, he gets called out and he gets anointed as king and he gets put into this position of king and he leads this great nation and Samson or Saul does the same type of thing. He takes one step away and another step away and another step away until finally the Bible says that God removed this kingdom from him. Right? God actually removes his spirit from him. But scripture says that God took his kingdom from him we get separated at first it's one little thing and then it's you know it's one step to the side and then it's maybe two steps to the side and then maybe we're, we're kind of off over here and God removes that from us in in the new testament Jesus promises to never leave us or forsake us right we've read that but how many of you know that we still have the ability to walk away from him God doesn't leave us or forsake us but we have the ability to turn our back on what he's saying. I told this story a couple of weeks ago. I uh, had no electricity, no power in my shed. Uh, I've got power, but then I had no power. And it was, you know, springtime and it's a mess. And so my son Caleb said, well, Dad, you know, I got the truck stuck up there and like I got it really stuck. Well, the power's buried in the ground. I said, how stuck were you stuck? He's like, I was really stuck. Maybe, he said, maybe while I was stuck, I hit that wire that goes up there. And so I began digging. Now, you'd have to understand, I had a conversation about this ground out here two hours before, and I had a conversation with Phil, and I said, I don't want you out here because it's muddy, and there's frost, and, there's, and it's, and it's going to be a mess, so wait, 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 wait. And he's like, okay, wait. And then I go home, and I take a shovel, and I start digging. And I couldn't quite get down fast enough, so I got my skid steer. And actually, while I'm driving up to the area where I feel like the wire is, the skid steer is sinking four inches into the ground in the mud. And I'm looking behind me, and there's tracks, and I'm spinning to get to the wire, and, and I continue to dig anyhow. And then I dug so far that I got stuck with the skid steer, and I had to get the skid steer out, and then I got the four-wheeler in there, and I got the four-wheeler buried clear up to the seat in mud like black, slimy mud. By the time I was done, I went from this intersection, which should have been here and here, a point in time. I'm looking for a wire at this point. By the time I got done, I had a section of mud some 70 feet wide and probably 500 feet long. It looked like a mud run. It really did. It was every, just mud everywhere. So I, I took a picture. There's a buddy of mine up in Hibbing. I took a picture and I sent it to him because I knew he would understand and he's like, don't you wish God would just tell us to stop? I'm like, he did. He told me two hours before when I was out here. He told me. And then when I picked up a shovel and I started digging, I knew, this was gonna, I knew it was going to end bad. Have you ever known something was going to end bad and you just keep doing it anyhow? And then you get bigger equipment. And you get more equipment. Until 
the, here's the truth, folks. I wish I could say, I wish I could say, out of obedience to the Holy Spirit, I stopped digging. But the only reason I quit digging was because it was too dark to see and it was just mud. If I could have seen another clear patch of grass to dig up, I'm quite certain I would have. <laughs> here's the end of the story. I didn't find the wire, okay? Anywhere over there. Eventually, a couple of days later, I thought, well, I might as well start at the building. I started at the building and I got about three feet away from the building and guess what I found? The wire. Guess what happened? Last fall when we put in some concrete, I took a shovel and I stuck the shovel in the ground right there where I was digging and I stuck that shovel in that piece of wire five times in a piece of wire that long, I stuck the shovel. But here I dug up half the yard and I couldn't find it. Sometimes we just don't stop. We keep going down that road and pushing and pushing and pushing and God's saying, stop, 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 stop here. Stop here, stop, stop here. Stop back there, but if you're not gonna stop there, stop here. Stop, stop, stop. And we don't, we keep on pushing. We keep on pushing, we keep on pushing. And we find ourselves separated from God. We find ourselves hurting and wondering why. How did, I, how did I ever get here? How did I get here? In the book of Revelation, you have John, who is, they call him John the Revelator. He was the, he was a prophet, and he was actually banished to the island of Patmos when he wrote this, this revelation that he had from Christ. And so he's he banished, he's there in exile, he's, he's running, and he, he's on this island, and he's already seen most of his close disciple friends have already been persecuted to the point of death. And he writes this letter to us and, and he reveals in, in Revelation chapter two, starting in verse one, to the angel of the church of Ephesus right now, this is Jesus speaking to the church. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and he walks among the seven golden lampstands. In verse two he says, I know your deeds and I know your hard work and I know your perseverance. He's speaking to the church at Ephesus and he says, I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and you have found them false. You have persevered and you have endured hardship for my namesake and you have not grown weary. Doesn't that sound like a great encouragement to the church? Wouldn't you like someone to come up and say, hey, I know you've done a great job, you've got great deeds, you've, you've worked hard, you've persevered. It's, it's a good thing. I would hope that God could say that about us. But he goes on in verse four, and he says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love that you had at first, or literally, you have forsaken your first love. I don't imagine for the church at Ephesus that their forsaking their first love happened one giant step one day. They just said, you know what, we're gonna follow after God, and we're gonna follow, and we're gonna follow, we're gonna do all these great deeds, and then one day they're gonna say, nope, we changed, now we're not gonna love God. I don't think that's how it happened. I think it was just one step at a time. One gradual step at a time. 
while their love for God was so great, it was so infectious, that people were drawn into their fellowship. I'm sure they had great sermons were preached and wonderful things were happening. People were coming to Christ. They were known far and wide for their steadfastness. But then, gradually, the people that prayed stopped praying. The people that gave stopped giving. And the people that witnessed Stop witnessing. And the people who just couldn't wait Sunday mornings, couldn't wait throughout the week to worship God, stopped worshiping. Until finally Jesus looks at the church and he says, I got this against you. You've forsaken your first love. I don't need you to raise your hand. But I want you to consider this. Do you still have your first love for God? Do you still have that fire inside of you that says, I am just as on fire. I love God just as much today. He's just, and I know, I know every one of us would say, God's just as important today as he was then, but is he just as important in our life, in our practical day-to-day, in the day that we live our life, in the way that we live our each day? Is he just that important? I remember when I accepted Christ, I was smoking three packs of cigarettes a day, getting stoned every morning, usually getting drunk before school. And I know that when God set me free, he delivered me instantly from those things, instantly from those things. I never had a craving for tobacco. I never had a craving for alcohol. He delivered me instantly. I remember walking out of that little Salvation Army church, opening the door thinking, that sky is so much bluer than it was when I came in. The grass is so much greener. I remember walking outside thinking, this is not the place that I, where, where am I? What happened here? And yet, little by little over time, little by little over time, we let things creep in. We let hurts and disappointments creep in. That first love experience, when we realize, and we realize that, that, that God loves us so much that he gave his only son to pay the penalty for our sin. He loves us so much, and we take that in. And when we do, it's like the, the troubles in life, they just don't seem like, they're just not, it's not that big a deal. So we got this mountain of problems, that's okay, I don't mind climbing mountains. There's a river of grief, that's okay, I don't mind swimming a little bit. With God, it's possible, we can work our way through that stuff. And yet, little by little, we seem to pick up hurts, we pick up offenses, criticism comes we find critical stuff in the church we find critical stuff in people's life and we pick those things up you see first love is vulnerable first love needs to be protected it needs to be reinforced Paul is an amazing example I think of that first love. Paul actually recognized that he owed everything to God. 
One time he said, I am the chief of all sinners. Well, is he really the greatest sinner in the world? I don't know. But he saw himself that way. One time he said, I don't deserve to be an apostle because he was aware of who he was and what he had done. And yet he was overwhelmed that God could love him so much. I got one for you. Here's one about the apostle Paul maybe you didn't know. His real name was Saul. You know that? His name was Saul. And then Saul changed his name to Paul. You realize that Saul changed his own name. Nobody else changed that name for him. Saul was, this, was the, the Jewish name. He was born Jewish and he realized that there was such a change in his life and he needed to be someone different. And he actually went so far as to change his own name. We don't find anybody else who changed it. In, in the Romans, he writes this letter to Romans. He said, I speak the truth of Christ. I am not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race. He felt so much peace, so much joy, so fulfilled from God that he'd be willing to cut himself off if everybody else around him could have that same life that he had. I don't want to see your hand, but are we walking in that same place today? Are we that in love with Jesus, with our first love? Are we that in love with him that we would rather see ourselves cut off so that our friends and our family and people around us could experience that or have we kind of taken it for granted? Paul's heartbeat is saying, I need to let people know so, I don't, I'm, I'm loved, God changed me so much. And Moses actually prayed the same kind of prayer in Exodus chapter 32. Moses went back to the land, uh, went back to the Lord and said, oh, what great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold, but now please forgive them sin for their sin. If not, then blot me out of the book that you have written. Take, take me out so that they can be restored. Moses loved his people so much and he loved his God so much that he was willing to sacrifice himself if he could. Have you ever lost something? How many of you, if I asked you if you lost something precious, everybody would say, oh yeah, I lost something precious. Now let's get something really precious. How many of you have lost your cell phone at one point or another? And you feel that instant sense of panic. Like, ah! I'm halfway out the driveway and I don't have my cell phone. I walked out of the house, I don't have my cell phone. I've taken three steps and I don't know where my cell phone is. You know, this is just an odd number, but 75% of all the people who own cell phones have dropped them in the toilet at one time or another. I don't even want to know. I don't want you to raise your hands. I don't want to know. We're maybe a little overly connected. Just maybe. What do you do when you lose something? What you, you, you go through your mind. You, 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 you have to you go back and you relive. Where was I at? Where was I at? What happened? Where was, where was the last time I used it? 
Where was the last time I, I had my phone, my watch, my, my, where was the last time I, where did it disappear from? And you know, here's the deal. Matthew says in Matthew 24 that because of the increasing wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. In um, Timothy, Paul wrote to Timothy, 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to find it. I'm going to find it. It's in my Bible. I know it is. It, it was earlier. Second Tim, I lost it. 2 Timothy chapter 3 in verse 1. Paul writes to Timothy, he says, Mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without control, brutal, not lovers of God, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form, having a form, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof have nothing to do with them. They even have a, a form of godliness, but they're lovers of themselves. They're lovers of they're all these other things. There's something has crept into the mix, and the first love is gone. We don't want to be known as that kind of church, folks. We don't want to be known as that. We don't want to be known as that kind of people, that our first love is gone. But that's the way sin comes in. It takes these tiny steps. It's not this big jump from, man, I'm following after God to, to corruption. We let things get in. Think about a marriage. Oftentimes our relationship in the Bible is related to marriage. Two people meet and they fall in love. Who? I mean, they just can't see enough of each other. And when they're not around each other, they still can't see and they think about each other. I mean, they're, 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 they're writing, you, you've seen it, you know, you've seen the girl, usually it's the girl, right? She writes the guy's name on a, on a piece of paper and then starts to outline it and then outlines it and then outlines it and then outlines it and then outlines it. I've seen it. And oftentimes it's her name and his last name and she's outlining and outlining little hearts. I'm not saying guys don't do that, but not as much as girls. You can't wait to be around each other. You, you talk hours and hours into the night. You share your hopes and your dreams and your thoughts and you, everything. You, you, that first love is there. You know what I'm talking about. When you're looking at each other. Nobody's looking, but you're And then we go through the, the wedding, and that's all great. And they say they're going to honor and respect each other, and they're going to protect each other. And their love just seems like it, it just it blooms like they, they're just, they're just, they're just, it just can't get any better. Raymond would say, unspeakable joy. And your hearts are just full. And then you get married, and you get past the honeymoon, and you got to go to work on Monday, and man, can't you do something about your breath in the morning before I wake up? Uh, do you see what your hair looks like in the morning? I told you, I really need you to pick up. Oh, at first, the socks on the floor are okay. But after a while, I'm tired of picking up your socks and your underwear and your this and your that. And, and who, who kicks their socks under the bed? Stop doing that. 
And why, when you, when you have a piece of gum, why do you take it out of the wrapper and throw the wrapper on the counter? Then I gotta put the wrapper, I gotta pick up the wrapper. That was mine. That was mine. Came out when we were doing marriage counseling with another couple. That was mine. What happens is we let these little things get in there and then all of a sudden we're taking kids to doctors and to hockey practice and to this play and to that play and to this thing and the other thing and you run and you run and you run and you sit there one day and you look at each other and you go, who are you again? Why is it? What, what's on your schedule? Oh, okay. And that first love and that wink around the corner and that little pinch and squeeze and hug that's all gone and now it's like yeah I'm headed to work see ya I'll call you later if I can find my cell phone that first love is not quite so sparkly as it was it dies just the opposite of the way that it grew it grew because you paid attention to it. It grew because you nourished it. It grew because you fed it, and it dies because you ignore it. It dies because you don't feed it. It dies because you don't tend to it. It dies because little things get in the way, and you don't talk about those little things. It dies because you get a bad attitude, and then you don't address that attitude. You, you don't deal with that attitude And the same thing happens to us with our relationship with God. We get disappointed. We get hurt. We expect God is going to do things this way because after all, that's how I prayed and he should do it like this. And he doesn't. We ask God that he should change this person this way and he doesn't and so we get disillusioned. And the church should behave like this and everybody should do that. And that doesn't happen. And so we lose that first love unless we intentionally cultivate it. How do you get that back? Revelations chapter two, John writes this. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do those things that you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and I will remove your lampstand from its place. That's what happened to Saul. That's what happened. His lampstand was moved. If you don't repent, it's just going to go away. You say, well, how could somebody be part of the church for 25 years and all of a sudden they just disappear? All of a sudden they don't want anything to do with God anymore. Well, how many times have you heard of a marriage? People were married for 25 years and one day... They left. How could they leave? They didn't tend to that relationship. They didn't tend to that first love. Folks, if we don't tend to our first love with God, there's going to come a time when you just realize it's not there anymore. What happened? John said, repent. Interesting word. You know what repentance means in that scenario? It means it's not God's fault. It's not God's fault he didn't behave the way we thought he should behave. 
It means it has something to do with us. It means we kind of set this thing up for failure. Consider how far you have, from how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. It means we quit doing the things that we were doing. First John chapter two, starting in verse three. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. But if anyone does his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we, we know, this is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. We forget that first love. We walk away from that and then we quit obeying. Do you know how easy it is to quit obeying? I don't want to, I don't want to do that today, God. Drop down to verse 15. John says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, everything in the world, everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, that's one category. The lust of the eye, that's another category. And the pride of life, that's another category. Three categories, everything in the world system falls into those three categories. Comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires will pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. The lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. I've got to have this. I've got to get that. I've got to do this. I've got to to follow after that. I've got to have this. I've got to have that. And the next thing you know, our love for the Father is growing cold, and we don't know about it because we've accumulated three motorcycles, two boats, seven houses, We've got all these things coming into our life and we've walked away from this and we don't even realize it. As a matter of fact, we might even say that we've got all these things to prove that God is blessing us. And yet they take place of our relationship with God. Guess what? All those things mean nothing if you don't have a relationship with God. All those things mean nothing if there is not a closeness. If that first love is gone, it doesn't mean anything. We get offended. We get hurt. People say things that that push us away. You know what? I'm going to tell you something. Time to pull up your pants, cinch your belt, maybe your seat belt. You cannot get pushed away from God by anybody except yourself. You choose and I choose whether we're going to get offended and stay offended or if we're going to do what his word says and we're going to forgive and we're going to repent and we're going to lay down our lives. You and I are the only ones who can choose to get pushed away from God. Amen? You don't have to like that. That's okay. That's the truth. Jesus had lots of followers rereading the book of John and then all of a sudden he started preaching some hard things and as he started preaching some hard things, they said, sorry, we can't follow along with that. That's a little too hard for us. Jesus finally looks at his 12 disciples who are remaining and he looks at them and he says, what, are you gonna leave too? Are you done? Is it too hard? 
Peter finally says in John chapter 6, where are we going to go? And you're preaching the words of life. It's hard. I'm sure you thought, this is hard. Folks, we have a choice. Here's another buckle your seatbelt moment. I believe that if you're going to walk in this world, offenses are going to come. They're going to come. And I believe we're going to have to grow through them. Click on the seatbelt. Let's grow up. We make a choice whether those disappointments are going to send us away from God. Nobody else does. So what do you do? You lose your keys? You go back to where you had your keys the last time you knew it. You lose your phone? You go back to where you had your phone. Get back there. Repent. Get back there. If you say, as you're sitting here today, you know what, I'm just not sure that my love of God is the same place that it was. Well, repent. Go back. Stop pursuing 47 other things. And I gotta tell you, I'm guilty of this. I'm, 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 I'm going 100 miles an hour most days. I wanna be here, there, here. And by the way, let's go to an auction. And we should do this. And we should do, I'd like to be doing that too. That's a good idea. We should go for a motorcycle ride. You need help fixing something? We should do that. I, I got a skid steer. We should go out and get it stuck looking for wires. We should do that. I can help you build that building. We should do that. I can help you. Do, we could do that. Guess what? If I come to the point where I realize there's distance between me and God, he said he's not going to leave me. It's my fault. It's time for me to put on the brakes to figure out where I left him and to back up. By the way, while I'm backing up, I should be repenting because I let all of those other things, oh, she said that and it hurt me. You see the way they looked at me in the back row and now they're sitting like this. They used to sit in the front, now they're sitting in the back. I don't think they like me. So what? I'm sorry. You know what? Our relationship with God, all this means nothing if we're not in love with our creator. All this means nothing if he doesn't take first place. You wonder why we got struggles in our life. We're gonna have struggles we got the author and the finish of our faith resident within us. Don't let distance get in there. Don't let disappointment and disillusionment and your thing and my thing and everybody else's, don't let that get in there. We have the opportunity to repent. Go back. Do those things that he told us to do. When John the Baptist started to preach, the first words out of his mouth were repent. When Jesus sent out the 72 by 2, the first thing he told him to do was tell people to repent. We avoid that word in church because it means that we sin. Guess what? We sin. I sin. I might be the only one. Nope, somebody else in the back. Raise your hand too. There's two of us. Hallelujah. We sin. We blow it. Well, I don't like to say that I sinned. You sinned. Well, I kind of blew it here. No, you sinned. Because you know what? We don't repent from kind of blowing it. Well, I kind of blew it. I got a little off track. Well, or you sinned and you need to repent. Grab a hold of the truth of that, folks. You're going to find your relationship much better with God if we quickly address the sin in our life.
and we repent and we get back to where we were. You say, Pastor, people might find out. Guess what? They're going to find out anyhow. Only it might be a crash. We need to protect that love, protect that relationship. Stay. When you get back to that relationship with God where you know you need to be, don't move from there. Keep him there. Keep him there. You know when you lose your phone and you finally find it, you got tabs on that phone for the next 48 hours. Man, it's not, no, no, oh, no, I, I got it. You know exactly where it is. Well, guess what? When you get back in right relationship, stay there. Don't move from that grace. Don't stand in judgment. Put down the stone. Don't pick up an offense. Practice the one another's. Pray for one another. Serve one another. Love one another. Honor one another. Accept one another. Carry one another's burdens. Be patient with one another. Forgive one another. Submit to one another. You say, Pastor, those are hard things. I don't know if I can do it. Neither could his disciples. That's where we need to be if we want to maintain that first love relationship with God. Amen? Let's close in prayer. God, you spoke to me through this word. I believe you speak to each one of us. Each one of us at times has let disappointment or disillusionment or our expectations or or thinking that you should behave one way and it doesn't happen that way. We've let that get in the way of our relationship with you at times. I know we have. At times, God, we've even blamed you. Well, God didn't do it this way. I prayed and he didn't do it that way. I asked and he didn't do this. We've blamed you. And God, for those times when we've done that, we need to repent. We need to ask for your forgiveness, God. We believe that you're sovereign and that you, God, have the ability. You're a sovereign God. You can use us any way that you see fit, even if it doesn't answer, it doesn't follow along with my life's plan. I pray, God, that you will grab a hold of each one of us today and you will help us get to that point where we're willing where we're willing. I can stand up here and pray for each person, but until we individually ask you, God, to forgive us for sin when we've walked off the path, when we've chosen to let something come between us and you, God, would you work that in each one of our hearts? That's not something I can do. I can only do it for me and you. So Lord, I pray you'd work that in our hearts. Give us this day where we where we examine where we're really at and rekindle that first love for you in our hearts. Just ask you to do that, Lord. This week, this day, this moment, would you do that for us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. As we close, I want you to understand. I want you to understand. You will have the opportunity this week to get offended. You will have an opportunity this week to get hurt. You will have an opportunity this week to allow something to get in between you and God. And you have the opportunity to say, I'm not going to let it happen. You have the opportunity to say, I'm sorry, God, I repent. 
It's on us. Vonnie needs bars for Wednesday. I saw that hand over in the corner. thought I was having an auction for a minute. Just want to let you know you have the opportunity to walk in the peace and the life and the hope of God every moment of the day and to fall in love with your first love again. Amen? God bless you and have a great day.